That's kind of the theme of Nehemiah that we've been unpacking and seeing all throughout. It's, it's the, the line that runs throughout the book of Nehemiah is that although the people are at work rebuilding and restoring, it's really God who's at work to rebuild and restore his people to his place for his glory. And so that's what we're seeing in the book of Nehemiah. And for those of you who don't know who Nehemiah is, he was a guy who was a cupbearer in the service of the king of Persia, and Persia was kind of over all of the Middle East and, and, and that portion of the world at the time, and, and he heard that God's place, that, that the place that, where God said he would dwell with his people, Jerusalem, he heard it was in disrepair, and he was grieved, and, and he wept, not just because God's people were unsafe, but they were displaced. They were not in the place where God had promised. You know, the people of Israel are called God's promised people because they were given a promise by God to Abraham to, to bring the people into God's place, to be God's people in God's place. And, and when the city of Jerusalem lies in ruins, they looked like they were no longer God's people in God's place and God would not accomplish his purposes. And so God's name was being defamed by all those around him. So Nehemiah weeps and he's grieved for God's kingdom. He's grieved for God's place because of what it represents about God's glory and God's plan and his purposes. And so we've seen that over the last few chapters of the book of Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah, he prays, he fasts, he goes, he appeals to the king. He gives up his job. He goes to a place of risk and he goes, he plans and he pursues and he starts work. And so that's kind of the background of where we find our place today in the book of Nehemiah. And today we're going to be actually going through all of chapter 3 in one reading. Now, I don't know if you ever read Nehemiah chapter 3, but it's, let's just say it's not on everybody's list of favorite Bible verses, right? You know, I've got some favorite portions in scripture. I love Romans 5 through 8. That's, if, I, I, I love the storyline of Romans 5 to 8, how how God takes a people and he redeems us and he, he makes us one in his grace and by his grace he rescues us, he saves us and how we are not only redeemed but um, we're transformed and I love that there's no condemnation, all those wonderful truths. No one goes to the book of Nehemiah and thinks, you know what, chapter three, that's my favorite. Now, why is that? Go look at your Bible. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Nehemiah chapter three just for a moment. This is a chapter that I have to confess, when I go through the yearly Bible reading plan, I may have skipped this chapter. Uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, if you ever read through the book of Numbers, you know, how many people here just love lists of people? Anybody, anybody just love, man, that's my favorite Bible. Any, anybody your favorite Bible verses, those lists? All right, Tyler. Awesome. He loves lists of people. That's great. Um, he's a programmer, so that makes sense. Um, <laughs> it's... It, People don't just naturally gravitate to whole lists of people. And you're like, what in the world is this all about? You know, Nehemiah, thanks very much for the information, but what's the point, right? But if you know that what God says is that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for instruction, you know that this must have some meaning. This must have some place. So what's the point? But you know what? Most people skip even teaching this part. They're like, well, we're just going to go to chapter 4. Because it's a lot more interesting. There's a lot of stuff happening. Nehemiah is like a movie that plays out. But in chapter 3, it's like the credits. Now, you might be one of those weirdos who sits at the end of the movie and watches all the credits because you're hoping there'll be a little Easter egg in it or something, you know, some, some secret unpacked. Well, there are some things in here that I think you will see 
that are better than a Marvel movie, you know, the, the disclosure at the end of all, all Marvel movies, you're watching three quarters of the way through the credits and something pops up. I, I hope that you will see that God actually intends something. There are purposes more than just a list of names that God intends for us. But I'm going to read the passage, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then... I want to talk about what God has for us from this passage. So this is God's inspired word. I ask you not to check out. It's really easy to do. Um, it's easy for me to check out when I was reading through the whole book of Nehemiah. In chapter 3, I'm like, okay, all right, great. In chapter 4, so let me, let me ask you to look really carefully like a good detective might to discern. Sometimes God's word is easy to unpack. At other times, you've got to dig. This is one of those times you're going to dig. All right, so let's dig together with me, looking for what is God trying to say to us? So this is God's holy, inspired word. I'm not going to make you stand today. Normally we would stand for the reading of scripture. It's 32 verses. You can sit, okay? So let's read God's word together. Nehemiah chapter 3. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to him, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built a fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, son of Berachiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, Tekoites, repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joiada, the son of Pasiah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the gate of Ishana. They laid its beams and set its bolts, its doors, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Marathonite, and the men of Gibeon, and the men of, Miz- of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Hashabidniah, I think, repaired. <laughs> Malchiah, son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Next to them, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Machiah, the son of Rahab, ruler of the district of Beth Hacharem, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kol Hosea, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah and the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of the half-district of Beth-zur, repaired to the point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of the half-district of Keilah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired. Bavi, son of Hinnadad, ruler of the district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Yeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired. Another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib, the house of, to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired. 
After them, Benjamin and Heshub repaired the opposite of their house. And after them, Azariah, son of Messiah, uh, son of Ananiah repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress in the tower, projecting from the upper house the king to the court of the guard. After him, Pataiah, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel, repaired to the point opposite the water gate on the east of the projecting tower. After him, the Tokoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate. Into the upper chamber of the corner, and between the upper chamber of the corner of the sheep's gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. This too is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every part of your word, even the parts that perplex us as to why they're there. God, thank you that you speak to us through all kinds of means. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me to your people. Father, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us this morning that we would hear from you. I pray for your Holy Spirit. Would you empower and enable me? Would you empower and enable everyone here to hear your word? We need your spirit. Without your spirit, none of us will hear from you. Open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our eyes. We might see you, we might hear from you, we might respond to you. Give us your grace and your faith in your work, I pray. In the name of your son, amen. Well, I think I just confirmed in everybody's minds why you might skip over this passage, right? That's a long list of names. And you know, half of them I mispronounced probably. It's a long list of names. It's some hard names. It's a whole bunch of things. And so you have to wonder, okay, why in the world will we study this? Well, not only is it God's word, but there are some things in there that God has for us. There are things in God's word to be mined from passages like this, and there's actual meat in this passage for God's people. This, this passage is relevant for God's people. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not gravitating studying passages like this, but as you study passages like this, you'll see that not only is there meat in this passage, but it's relevant for today. All these weird guys' names, and ladies' names as well, it has relevance for today. And, and I think one of the main overarching things that you get as you read all of it, you get this sense that, you know what? There's a lot of people involved, right? There's a whole lot of people involved in this work. They're doing a lot of work. There's a whole lot of people involved. And I think the main idea that the author wants to communicate is that when it comes to God's kingdom, which is really the, the forerunner of God's kingdom, that his, his physical kingdom on earth is what they were rebuilding, but when it comes to God's kingdom, which Israel or Jerusalem was just but a shadow of, when it comes to God's kingdom, Everyone has a part in the work. Everyone has a part in the work for God's glory. That was the whole thing motivating Nehemiah was the glory of God that that they wouldn't be ashamed. And so everybody has a part in the work for God's glory. When it comes to God's kingdom, the main thrust of, why did Nehemiah put this passage here? The main thrust of it is when it comes to God's kingdom, everybody has a part in the work for his glory. Everyone is needed. Everyone has a part in the work. And we're all called to it. You know, in World War II, my kids studied World War II over the last few years, and they, they thought some of these posters were comical. I have some of these posters up for you, I think. And there's one here, and it says, 
God help me if this is a dud, and he's about to throw a grenade, and it says, his life is in your hands. And then there's another poster here. It says, dig on for victory, and it and although it's a little dim. This, this guy, he's got a pitchfork, he's got a basket of vegetables and a straw piece in his mouth, and it's saying, dig on for victory. It's emphasizing the part that everybody has a part to play. The people who make the grenades have a part to play, not just the people on the front lines, but the people back home who actually have vegetable gardens. It was, it was part of the war effort. Everybody was a part of this. And then, I, I love the one that says, help win the war on the kitchen front. Above all, avoid waste. Everybody had a part to play in the work of World War II. Go to the next slide. This one says, think. Production means life or death. Don't lose one minute. Work. Everybody had a part to play in World War II and in the work. I, I love the other one. The guy's from Michelin. We got a bunch of Michelin employees here. It says, ride together, work together, save rubber for victory. They were, they were trying to conserve. Everybody has some part to play in World War II. And it's like the whole nation rallied around that. The whole nation got together. Everybody's familiar with that, that other poster. I don't have it up here, but that other poster of, uh, is it, what's the Riveter's name? Rosie, Rosie the Riveter. And she's kind of, she's got her arm up and she's got a bandana on. And, you know, it's like, get to work. Everybody can work. And so everybody was involved. Everybody had a place and a part in the success of the Allies in World War II. And what we see here is that every kind of person is needed in the work. That's the first main idea we're going to see from this passage. Yes, everyone has a part in the work for his glory, but every kind of person is needed in the work. You know, you need people digging at home. You need people in the kitchen. You need people who ride share. You need people in all kinds of things if you're going to win a war. Even more so in building God's kingdom, every kind of person is needed in the work. And that's what we see in this huge list. That's one of the first most obvious things. There are all kinds of people here, right? There are all kinds of people in this work, and every kind of person is needed for the work. And the first kind of person that we see there is one of the, the most important or highfalutin, if you will, leaders in, in Jerusalem, aside from Nehemiah, one of the most important people in God's team at the time. He was a high priest. That, you know what? The high priest was not above the work. The high priest was not above the work. If you look in your passage, it says, Elisha, the high priest, he was busy at work on the wall himself. And he was there with all kinds of people. He was there beside the other priests. And then you look, not only the priests and the high priest, which, by the way, if you think about it, you know, I doubt the high priest was very good at building. He was probably really good at killing animals because they did that for sacrifice. He was probably really good at a bunch of ritual things, at, at making bread and lighting fires and things like that. But I doubt he was very good at building. And yet, what do we see? Every kind of person is needed for the work. We see that Elijah, the high priest, is there. We have Levites there. You know, whenever you see people's roles listed in Scripture, there's always a reason for it. In, in, in Old Testament narrative, one of the important things you need to know about Old Testament narrative is that whenever you see a title or a name or a role listed, it's for a reason. You see, the Old Testament was not just written as history. It was written as informative history to tell us something about God and something about us and something about God's purposes. And so what we see here is there's a whole bunch of titles. Look down at your Bibles. There's tons of different titles listed there, right? It starts off with the high priest. So the leaders are not above the work. Every kind of person is needed. Leaders are needed. Important people are needed. There was no hierarchy in God's people. They were equally involved in the work of building the walls of the city. 
that they weren't carpenters, they weren't metal workers, they weren't masons, they were priests, and it was a high priest. And yet we see the first person it mentions is the high priest. Because Nehemiah is trying to show us something. That, that getting in and doing the work of the, the, the kingdom, the, the menial work, if you will, the normative boring work, the hard, backbreaking labor, the, the difficult work of building God's kingdom, it requires everybody, every kind of person. And we see that the leaders are involved. They pitched in, they applied themselves. They probably had to learn what, what, what to do. They probably had to learn how to build and how to put the gates together, and, and they got to work. But we see something else. There's some symmetry here. Whenever you see symmetry in the Old Testament narrative, it's for a reason. It's to draw attention to something. There's a, a foil. So we have the high priest who's a leader. He's a noble in a sense, religiously speaking. And yet look in verse 5. You see that there's another noble, the noble of the Tekoites. It's, it's a city about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. It says the Tekoites, they were busy at work, but the nobles of the Tekoites, it says something in a derogatory manner. It says, next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. It's talking about the Lord God. They, the nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. They were needed and they refused, and they revealed by their refusal that they really weren't serving the Lord. They really weren't serving the Lord. They were serving their own, their own name, how people viewed them. They were more concerned that they didn't get involved in the dirty work, the, the grunt work of the church. You know, they don't want to be seen stacking chairs or cleaning toilets. You know, they, they, they were above that. Somebody who didn't stoop or bow to the one they call Lord obviously doesn't truly acknowledge that person's lordship. And that's what Nehemiah's drawing our attention to. They didn't stoop to serve the Lord. In contrast with the high priest who stooped and built the wall, they wouldn't stoop and serve God by serving alongside the, their, their people who were serving. And their proud actions revealed they didn't really serve God at all. You know, it's, there's a direct inference that they proudly thought they were above the hard work of building. You know, you know, today, we don't build a physical wall, right? We don't, we, our goal is not to build, no matter what you think politically, our goal here is not to build a physical wall. We're not going to build a wall around the church. You know, we, we were debating, hey, when, when should we put up a, a, some kind of fence up here on the property when we eventually plant some grass because we want to keep the kids from running into the road, but we want to be careful because we don't want it to, people to think that we're building a wall around the church to keep people out or to kind of isolate ourselves in the world. We don't build a physical wall anymore, but you know that we are built into the wall of the church. And we'll get to that in a few minutes, but God calls us the church. He calls us his building, his temple, his place. Jesus is a foundation stone and he uses all kinds of building language. And so there's application for us is that the the building of the walls of Jerusalem, they were but a shadow of, of the walls that God is building to build his true and lasting kingdom. And so we all have a part in God's kingdom and all part in God's kingdom work and all of us as leaders are called to come alongside God's people and work in the church. None of us are above serving the Lord. And you look at all the different kinds of people who are mentioned. There's all kinds of people who are needed. Needed in the work of the Lord. Every different title here is important. Every different title is is important here. 
You know, so, so often for us today, we can think, you know what, um, I'm, I'm an artist, or I'm a this, or I'm a that, or uh, I'm a teacher, or I'm a this, and so you think, you know, I don't, I'm not really needed in those roles, because that's not really what my thing is, it's not what I do, and then we say, no, in God's kingdom, every kind of person is needed for the same kingdom work, and what's the kingdom work, building God's kingdom? Jesus ultimately builds his kingdom, but you know what, he does it through us, and he does it as we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, He does it as the church is built up, and so every kind of person is needed, no matter what your title or role is, and we're all needed to work together on the mission, and you know, for us as a church, our mission is to be disciples of Jesus Christ who are seeking to grow and to make disciples. It's really simple, and I think that's the mission of the church generally. We're to have the identity of disciples, we're to to really grow as disciples, and we're to do the work of disciple making, both in the church and outside of the church, bringing new people into relationship with Jesus Christ. But you know what? Every kind of person is needed in that work. Every kind of person. Well, what's the second thing we see here? The second thing we see in this passage is every person and every kind of person has a place on the wall to work. Every kind of person has a place on the wall to work. You know, I, my kids, they love to play airsoft. They love to play capture the flag when they do that. And when you have that game, everybody has to cooperate together and they all have their place. Otherwise, the one team's gonna lose and the other team's gonna dominate. And in capture the flag, I, I used to love playing it myself, but we'd always sign, okay, you guys guard the base, okay? Now you guys, you're over here and you're gonna, you're gonna get the people who come to our base. And if, if you don't like airsoft, it's too violent, tag, okay? So you're gonna tag those people. And then you guys are gonna be the runners because you're faster you're going to go there so everybody has a place in this in this activity to to go and accomplish something in in here in the book of nehemiah everyone has a place on the wall everybody has a place on the wall you see something really unique everybody's got a place on the wall it's the physical jerusalem was was really ultimately fulfilled and is fulfilled and being fulfilled in jesus christ Where God's people are built together in him. Now, God's people, we don't build walls, as I mentioned before. Instead, we work on his kingdom as he is building his kingdom. He uses the same language, and it's for a reason. There's no mistake. You see, the city of Jerusalem was pointing to the fact that God will have an ultimate place where God will make his presence to dwell with his people, and he'll bring his people into his place. And even now, he's bringing his people into his place, his kingdom. We just don't see it. But one day, though, physically, we will see his kingdom that he's bringing people into. So we are a part of building God's kingdom as he works in and through our work. And everybody's got a place. Everybody has a place, ultimately. I love the building language that the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians 2. He says, um, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's like your members, your timbers in the household of God. He says built, he uses this building language. This is the, the fulfillment. God's kingdom people are the ultimate fulfillment of that typology of Jerusalem. We see that here. He says, so you are fellow members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Understand the building language there. Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure 
being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you see where all of the Bible has been pointing to the culmination in Jesus Christ and to his true kingdom and God's promised his people to have his people in his place and that place is his kingdom and here on earth that place is his church. Peter used similar language in 1 Peter 2, 4. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, listen to this building language, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priest to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in scriptures, behold, I am laying in Zion. Okay, so now Peter's bringing it home for us, Jerusalem, Zion, now he's talking about the, the real Zion. He says, behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We are brought into God's kingdom and placed into the wall and, and, and placed together in his kingdom on the foundation of Jesus Christ as we believe in him. And then we're called to actually call other people to believe in Jesus, to see who Jesus is, to to repent of sins, and to come to faith in Jesus Christ so we all have a place on the wall. Not only are priests mentioned, but the occupation of so many other people are mentioned. I want to draw your attention to just a few of them. Notice that, I want you to notice something else that's missing. There are no people who have the title architect or builder. It's strange. They're building. It didn't say so-and-so the stonemason. I'm sure they had those types of people. Nehemiah is intentionally leaving out their titles because he's drawing attention to something else. He's got all kinds of different occupations. And, and I think the author is intending this to be surprised by something. Did you, did you catch there was a perfumer working on the wall? When I think perfumer, I don't think stonemason, you know? I don't think burly man. I don't think guy who's hefting a big load, he's a perfumer. There's nothing wrong with perfumers, by the way. We need perfumers, okay? But it's just not naturally given to that activity that's very artistic, that's good. We need perfumers. I like perfume. It helps people smell better. I don't like it when we stink, okay? It's all right. They didn't like that either. That's why they had perfumers. And then not only that, it says they had somebody else. They had, they had two emissions in a couple different places. They had goldsmiths. They were jewelers. They, they worked with fine details and they, they, they made small little detailed gold jewelry and beautiful things. They were, they were the craftsmen, the artisans. You know, they were skilled at working with small things. I doubt they were used to building walls. And then it says something else that, that I think is maybe more surprising, we're, we're, we're not inclined to think of. It's... it's there were rulers, it says, of half districts of Jerusalem. So basically all the rulers of Jerusalem were engaged. All the rulers of Jerusalem were engaged. Now think about that. There's some local politicians and bureaucrats working and getting their hands dirty. That might surprise you. You know, in today's day and age, you, you might not expect to see that, except for maybe a photo op, you know, when they're in a suit and tie and they've got a shovel and they're taking a photograph of something. But these guys are working. These are the rulers of the districts in the area. They're local politicians and they're working. But then there's something else surprising there too. He says there were several district rulers and that would have been like a congressional district today. 
There's several district rulers, maybe senators or congressmen of the area, you know, the equivalent of that today. Guys who were important politically. You know, they were busy. And yet they took time out and they had a place on the wall. You know, there was the equivalent of small town mayors in Jerusalem. All the villages around. It mentions all these little small towns around the area and this, the, the leader of this district, the leader of this area, the leader of this city and this village. And, and so there's, there's mayors, there's politicians, there's all kinds of people, there's jewelers, there's perfumers. But not only that, there's something else it mentions too. There's people from all kinds of cities. The Tekoites were about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. They had no reason to come and rebuild those walls because they weren't kept safe by those walls. But then there's a city that's farther away that had walls that kind of got knocked down a, a while ago in Jericho. They could have been thinking about rebuilding their own walls for their own safety about 18 miles away. It's a good, at least a day's, a day's walk away from Jerusalem. So they would have had to leave their homes. A lot of these people would have to leave their homes, leave their jobs, leave their livelihood, leave their families for the period they were there to build. And, and so, but they all had a place on the wall in God's mission and God's purpose to build his kingdom. Everyone in God's kingdom today has a place on the wall. You've got a place. You've got a place in building God's kingdom. Do you know your place? Are you in your place? Are you involved in building God's kingdom? Are you engaged in building God's kingdom? If not, then what you're building will not last. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It'll burn up. Are you engaged in building God's kingdom? Are you engaged in work that will remain? Are you, do you have a place on the wall? Do you know your place on the wall? If not, find your place. We see people sacrificially serving, taking time off from their professions, serving for the greater good, serving the city, serving God's people. I'm sure they served with their profession and their natural gifts as well, but the notable thing here is that all of these people weren't gifted in building, and yet they had a place on the wall. They had a place on the wall. Every kind of person with every kind of gifted is needing in building the church and serving the different areas that are needed. Everybody's got a place. And, you know, I'm sure you're tempted to think, and all of us are tempted to think, you know what, I I don't really have a place. I don't know where I fit in. Is there a gap somewhere? Fit in there. That's what we see in this imagery. There was gaps. People who weren't builders, they were like, I can do that, or I can learn, or at least I can carry some, you know, carry some stones for people who know what they're doing. If there's a gap, go and fill the place. Find your place on the wall. You don't have to have a place that you were necessarily gifted at. Actually, it's the reverse of that is what we see. These people were not gifted at building. They were engaged in building. You may not feel like you're gifted to kingdom work. You may not feel like, I'm not very good at sharing the gospel. I'm not very good at encouraging people or hospitality or giving financially. I'm not very good at all these things. And God says, you know what? No, find your place in the kingdom and get to work in these areas, in these, these areas of need. All of God's people are needed, even if it's something we feel like we're not good at. You know, after all, God, God most often uses areas we're not good at to help us grow, to stretch us. Jesus is building his church as people share the life-transforming news of the gospel and, and God calls everyone to come to that gap on the wall of the work of evangelism and sharing the gospel to bring people into the kingdom where you feel gifted or not. You might be an introvert and terrible with people. It's okay. 
God will enable you to do his work. This is very informative for God's people today. All of God's people are needed to do his work, even if we're not good at it. And you know, Every one of God's people is needed to serve different types of people in the church, even if you're not very good at it. You know, every one of God's people is needed to serve the children, the youth, the singles, the married couples, the people who might not have the same interest as you. That's why as a church, when, when people become members, we say, you know what, we love that you're being a member. What you're committing to as a member is that you're gonna be a part of building God's kingdom and we're gonna lock arms and we're gonna build together because every kind of person is needed. And you know what, I want you to consider roles that you would never think you're gifted at, never good at. If there's a gap, there's a place you can serve, say, hey, maybe I can do that. That's why we at least ask the question, not out of legalism or try to condemn anybody or to force anybody, but at least ask the question, hey, we got like a third of our church's children, so hey, we don't have enough parents to fill those needs. So we say, hey, this is everybody's work because children are part of the church. So it's all of our work to fill gaps in the walls in places like children's ministry or serving with youth or singles or having people over to your home. And I love, I mentioned last week, we are grateful for, and I didn't get his permission this week, and I'm going to embarrass him. But um, there, there's, you know, one of one of the physicians in our church, Tom. He 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 works behind the scenes, doing things that have nothing to do with doctoring. He leads our decorating team. He serves humbly, building bookshelves and and painting walls, and he built a cross behind me, and I, I think this podium as well, and all kinds of behind the scenes things. He's filling gaps. In area, you know, I think he started off as a CPA, then a doctor, but you know, it's not, these are just things he's put his hand to, and, and he's not the only one. I can think of so many people in the church who are working behind the scenes, filling in gaps. We have uh, the McCarnans, the Pruitts, they come every week and clean the church. You don't know that, but they do that for free. There's gaps everywhere. There's places in the church, all kinds of things, not just practical things, but in every area of the church, we need every member. We, we, I, used to use a phrase in my previous church and used to hear it a few times and we want, you know, we call it, this, you know, acronyms. I used to work for the government. They use acronyms a lot, right? So EMI, it's every member involvement. You need everyone to find their place on the wall in the church. Otherwise, there's gonna be gaps and the wall won't be strong. The church is not built up in the same way. You know, I love... I was just thinking about children's ministry. I love that we have so many people from different backgrounds. We don't just have teachers. We have IT programmers, we have doctors, nurses, work-at-home moms, those with no children, those with grandchildren. We have business people, salesmen, blue-collar, white-collar, teens who never had a job, young and old alike. We have all kinds of people from every socioeconomic background serving our children. Why? Because children are part of the church. They need to be built up. Just one small example. We, they're a great example for the children, too. Who, they're the next generation. You get to invest in that next generation so the walls remain strong. You know, if one member suffers because another member doesn't feel gifted to serve, the walls of the church suffer. You know, every one of God's people is called to make disciples. If you say, you know what, I'm not very gifted at making disciples, I don't know what to say, then you're not in your place in the wall. Find your place in the wall. Every member of the church is called to help strengthen marriages. You know, if you are single or if you are not, if you're no longer married, you still have a part to play in helping strengthen marriages in the church. You have a part to play in coming alongside if you can't have children, never had children, or don't want to have children, that's okay. You can play a part in serving parents. Every member is called to come alongside each other to have practical needs in the church, even if you don't feel gifted. 
What, what I love in this passage is people from all kinds of cities, from different places, different backgrounds, different strata socially, they don't have any personal vested interest. They gave themselves to the building of God's kingdom. Why? Because this is God's promise to build his kingdom, to bring his people into his place, and to build his kingdom for his glory. What are you building? We want people in all kinds of different professions. But work on the building that lasts in your profession, outside of your profession. Work on the building that lasts, his kingdom. God, bring his people into his place ultimately. Because that work will last and endure you know, we, we encourage all kinds of things in the church. Uh, God, maybe God's calling you to, to build the walls of his kingdom through practicing hospitality, having people to your home. Maybe you're an introvert or you, you feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm embarrassed by what people think of my home. Well, just tell them, hey, I'm not a very good housekeeper, but I don't care. You know why? Because you're more important than how clean my house is. Have people in your house. Because you're, you're building relationships. You're people being knit together, growing. You're learning. You're growing. They're learning. They're growing. The Bible calls us to things like practice hospitality. You know, as a church, we, we encourage every member here to be a part of a care group. That's not a command in the Bible, by the way. So, you know, we're not going to condemn you for that. But why we do is because that's the means we believe God has called us to, as a church, to lock our arms and say, you know what? This is how we build relationships so that we can care for each other and grow. And you know what? It really works. When people commit to each other, even though they're very different from each other, not because they have an affinity, that's why we don't have affinity groups based on ages and all these kind of things, but, but we have all kinds of different ages because it's necessary so we can relate to each other and sometimes it's really messy and awkward and difficult and weird and sometimes people talk too much or don't talk at all and so sometimes it's like, wow, this was not a great night, but you know what? That's not what it's about. It's about building relationships so we can grow and so we can care for each other. We can have a place in the wall in God's kingdom. Nehemiah knew that it was God who was at work rebuilding the walls and restoring the city. But you know what? God used his people working outside of their gifts and their profession to do it. People in uncomfortable positions. I bet the perfumers were a little uncomfortable working on the wall. Maybe I'm harping on perfumers too much. If you're a perfumer, please forgive me. I, just, I don't think we have that profession very much right now, so. You know, ultimately, it's Jesus who builds his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It's a sweet promise that we can be sure of, a sweet promise that we can rest in. But Jesus builds his church through his people as they humbly come together from every background to work alongside each other. And, and what we're gonna see, that the third point we're gonna see here is that they work alongside together in unity. They serve in whatever area is needed. Everybody's needed. Everybody has a place on the wall. I want you to notice something in this passage. There, there's, there's some phrases there that are repeatedly used. And whenever you see in an Old Testament narrative a phrase that's repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated, there's a reason. He says, and next to him, and after them, and next to him, and after them, and next to him, and after them. 28 times in 32 verses. That idea is repeated. What's, what's Nehemiah getting at? He's getting at something. When you see repeated phrases that many times, and next to him, and after him, and next to him, and after him. What he's saying is every person is needed to work together. Every person working together is needed. There is a togetherness that is shown here and next to him and after him and next to him and after him. And we have this picture of people locking arms side by side together in the work. They are working together next to him, 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 next to him. 28 times. 
When, when God mentions something that many times in the narrative, there's a reason. And it's every person working together is needed. I, everybody's probably been a part of a youth group if you grew up in the church at some point in time. And you ever have those pyramids? You ever done a human pyramid, by the way, in youth group? Nobody's ever done a pyramid? Human, human pyramid in youth group? Okay. Eight people. Okay. I guess nobody was actually in youth group. But I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, so this is, we've never done one quite that high. But um, we've had some impressive ones in, in cross currents. We've had ones that are three levels high. But you know, the funny thing about a pyramid is it really relies on everybody working together because if the guy in the middle or the girl in the middle decides it's like, I'm out, then the whole pyramid is going to collapse, right? Or if one of the people on the bottom is like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore, and we have it happen, right? So that's why a lot of people don't like building human pyramids, right? So in youth, that's why we're like, I don't, I don't know if we're going to do that. Because first of all, people are going to be on my back if I'm on the bottom, and that's going to be a lot of weight. And, but what if the guy beside me decides to crumble? It's going to hurt. There's going to be a lot. You've got to work together. And we see this kind of, this same every person working together mentality. Everybody, and after him, and after him, and next to him, and after him, and next to him, and after him. There's a togetherness that is being pushed on us and, and forced for us to see the people of God work together to accomplish his purposes. There's a unity in how God accomplishes his purpose in rebuilding and and bringing his people into his place. It's when people work together. And I'm going to say it can't be accomplished apart from that. That's not just an Old Testament idea. That's a New Testament idea as well. God rebuilds and restores his place when his people work together closely and tightly, seeking the same purpose. Church, if, if you have, hey, I, I want to be about this, and I want to be about this as a church, I want to be about this as a church, I want to be about this as a church, and you lose sight of the main purpose of our church to, to be disciples, to who are growing and making disciples, then, then you are not going to be working together. Let's work together on the mission of the church. And God's going to accomplish great things through his people when they work together. You know what's astounding about this? We're going to find out in the next chapter. So they finish in 52 days. That's like a world record in the Old Testament. They didn't get anything done that quick. Nothing. I mean, they didn't make it from Egypt to Israel in less than 40 years. 52 days. This is a record. This is astounding. It's meant to shock us. And why is that? Because they were working together on God's purpose, his plan, his mission. They put God's plans to bring people into his kingdom ahead of their own. And they worked together. It's an important lesson for us today. God calls people together in a local body. He calls us all to work together in building the church, to bring people into, into a place where, of safety into his kingdom. I mean physical safety. I mean safe in salvation. I love that Isaiah, I don't have the passage for you, but in Isaiah, he, he gives this imagery and he talks about bringing people into the walls and then he says into the walls of salvation. We... we work together to bring people into the walls of salvation. What we see here is one person didn't labor on their own part of the wall by themselves. They were working together. They were filling all the gaps, filling all the holes. And and Paul uses very similar language in 1 Corinthians. In verse 12, you know, if if there's there's a gap in the wall, then people would have come through. They wouldn't have gotten, the the whole wall would not have been completed. But in, in Corinthians, the New Testament, we see that he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's a togetherness in the body of Christ. We're meant to be together. We're meant to work together. 
I love the close building language again in, in, in Ephesians 4. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now notice the building language in verse 16. It says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. It's a building terminology and a body terminology both. Every joint with which is equipped. When each part's working properly, makes the body grow so that it, what? Builds itself up in love. Paul's intentionally mixing some metaphors here. It's a body, but it's a body that's built. And how is it built? Oh, when each part's working properly, when everybody has a place in the wall. When every part's working properly, it makes the body grow. It builds itself up in love. The body of Christ, we're built on the foundation of Jesus, but, and Jesus builds the church. You notice that in that language, says Jesus Christ, in verse 15, makes the body grow. Whoa, how? So that it builds itself up in love. Isn't that funny? We're, we're a living wall. We're living organisms. We, are, we build ourselves up and Jesus builds us. What, what a glorious promise that as we are joined together and each is working together properly, Jesus will make us grow as a body so we're built up in love. The question for us is, are you working side by side together in the kingdom? Are you together? Or are you allowing things to take you apart? Are you allowing differences to separate you? to create gaps in the wall? Are you allowing things like gossip and slander to creep in? Are you allowing bitterness to creep in? Are you allowing annoyances to separate you? By the way, we'll, we will annoy each other. The closer you are together, you'll annoy each other. But we're all needed to work together and say, you know what, we're gonna set those differences aside. We're gonna choose to, to partner together on something that's more significant than each and every one of us individually. And the New Testament stresses the unity of body so much. The Apostle Peter, I love in 1 Peter 3, he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And by the way, if we have a, a unity of mind, working together in the same purpose, the mission to build his kingdom, if we have sympathy for each other where each other are weak, if we have brotherly love that covers a multitude of sins, if we have a tender heart that says, you know what, I understand that they're weak and um, I have a tender heart towards them, and if we have a humble mind that says, you know what, my preferences, my perspective, my needs, my desires are not more important, but theirs are, if we have a humble mind, that's gonna take care of all the problems that would drive us apart. Ephesians 4, Paul, he continues on in, in verse 11 he, about the, the, the need for believers to walk worthy of the calling. And he says, he uses building language again. In Ephesians 4, 11, he says, he gave some, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for what? For the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? See how the Old Testament is being fulfilled ultimately in the church, in God's people, in God's place, in his kingdom. It says, for the work of ministry, what? For, looking down your Bibles, for building up the body of Christ. To equip the saints, all of us have a place in the wall, for building up the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all change to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, until God's kingdom is built. It's essential we all work side by side question is, are you united? Are you working? Do you have your place on the wall? Have you found your place? It's not easy work, but he uses our united work to build up his body. May we not allow anything to keep us from working alongside each other and rebuilding God's kingdom for his glory. Let's not allow offense to fester church or, or gossip or slander to divide. 
Let's be devoted to one another in love, not allow evil roots of bitterness to creep in and divide. If you allowed something to come between you and a fellow worker, go to them, repent, and find your place on the wall. Demonstrate the unity that we have in Jesus by coming back and working alongside on the wall. There's a final point I want you to see from this text. There are a lot of names. You might have noticed that, right? (laughs) I, I didn't do a count. Maybe you're that kind of person. Maybe you counted all the names in this passage. There's a lot of names. And by the way, when it lists a household like that, it's listing the, the leader of the household. So there were all the people in that person's household who were working on the wall with them, is the implication. So so and so, the son of so and so, it was him and his whole house who were working. And, and we know that because not only is it men working, but we see daughters working as well. Shalom and his daughters are working on the wall which would have been an anomaly in the Middle East at that time, which was not um, focused on equal rights for all. And yet we see that every person was needed. But then there's something else I want you to, to see there is there's a lot of names. Anybody here ever go to the Washington, D.C. and see all the different memorials they have there? Anybody been to Washington, D.C., see all those different memorials? They have a lot of different war memor- memorials too, right? So I bring it back to the war illustration. So there's a lot of war memorials. There's one, uh, the Korean War Memorial. I think I have a picture of that one up here. It's, it's haunting. It's these, it's these soldiers. They're, they're walking through the fields. They're covered. It's, it's the imagery of rain. And they're in these awful conditions. And, and they are there fighting on behalf of someone else. And there's a memorial to them. But then there's another memorial that I think I, I've always cried at when I go and see. And it's the Vietnam War Memorial. And it stretches forever. And you know what's on that memorial? Names. Why are there names on that wall? Because those names are important to somebody, right? And also because their relatives, those people, they, they, they want them to be remembered for their sacrifice. They want them to be remembered. And people weep over the names and what they represent. There's a lot of names listed here. You know, the names of the Vietnam War Memorial, those people are not forgotten. They're forever, or at least for a long time, a few hundred years probably, etched there. Unless it physically gets destroyed, they're etched there. They're lasting for their sacrifice, for what they did and what they represent. These names are forever written in the Bible, right? The names of these people are forever in the Bible. And thousands of years later, so probably around 24 to 2,500 years later, 24 and a half years, 100 years later, these people, are their names were still read out and remembered. Remember for the work. You know, there, there's a lot of, most of the veterans of World War II have passed away, but on Veterans Day every year we try to remember. Now, unfortunately, year after year, the crowds grow smaller and smaller. You know, and none of our names will be remembered here on earth probably in 500 years. I don't even know who my great, I I know my ancestor back to the Civil War time, but before that I don't know their names. And that was only 160 years ago, something like that. I remember his name, but I don't remember anybody before that. Your name 300 years from now probably will not be remembered. Most of us are not Nehemiah. Most of us are not kings. But everybody's name in God's kingdom is remembered. That's what this is trying to show us. God's showing us that everybody in his kingdom who does his kingdom work, his name is remembered. Now, it might not be written in the Bible. 
Your name will not be written in the Bible, by the way. The Bible, the canon is closed. It's been closed for a couple thousand years. But your name will be remembered. I love something else. There's, there's a name in there, and unless you read Ezra as well, you wouldn't have caught it, but there's this Malchiah character, and he was a guy who was convicted earlier in the book of Ezra for sinning against God by intermarrying with a foreign woman, and he was, he was chastised by Ezra. But you know where he is now? He's remembered for the good work he did. He's remembered for working in God's kingdom, working on God's wall. He's memorialized in honor. You know what I love that communicates? It communicates that, that your past failures don't keep us from serving the Lord and being useful to him and his purposes. Your past failures, your past sins, no matter how public they might be, no matter what everybody thought of you, God will honor you and recognize your work. And this man, he's, he's honored at least until we get to heaven. The same man who was guilty of sin, he's now honored for working on the kingdom. You might not remember any of these names, and I don't, I don't I encourage you to commit any of these names to memory. But you know what the names men, mentioned, they, they matter to them, they matter to their descendants. More importantly, they matter to God. God thought it was important enough that all these names were written down because they matter to him. Everyone who works in God's kingdom matters to him. You know, you might not remember these names. God will always remember them. God remembers all those who work on his kingdom for his glory, for his lasting purposes to bring a people into his place for his purposes, for his glory, and God will memorialize you. You know what's really cool? At the very end of this book we call the Bible in Revelation, there's another book that's opened up. Anybody know what that book is? It's the Lamb's Book of Life. And you know what's in that Lamb's Book of Life? You say it out loud. Names. And that's pretty important. Why? Because forever, those who are a part of God's kingdom and a part of God's kingdom work, their names will be written in a place that will never be erased. Remembered forever for his kingdom. That's really cool. You see, the fulfillment of even Nehemiah chapter three and a bunch of names is actually fulfilled in Revelation when it talks about the names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, his kingdom that will never fade What's most important to you? Where is your name written? He knows each of you by name. You matter to him. And your name will be, never be erased from that memorial, that Lamb's Book of Life that is read. And then I love that not only that, he's not gonna forget our work. The work of his people is not forgotten. Revelation 14, 13, he says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed, now this is New Testament, okay? This is grace, this is after the work of Jesus Christ that he's accomplished for us, that's brought us into his kingdom, that's made us his people, so this is nothing to do, it's not talking here about the works, earning anything, but he says something about our works in the kingdom. Now listen, he says, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, so Jesus, the Holy Spirit are here. Blessed indeed says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors. It says something that should be shocking almost for their deeds follow them. The works that you do for God's kingdom, they will follow you because they're lasting. 
It's the only work that you'll do that lasts, really, is kingdom work. You know, there's some things in the world that, that are lasting. There's only a few. There's God. He lasts forever. God's word lasts forever. And then people. They'll last forever. No matter where they go, they'll last forever. Their souls, their, their spirits will last forever, whether in hell or in heaven, and part of God's kingdom or outside of God's kingdom and weeping outside the city walls. What work are we doing? And are we working for the things that matter? And then the really cool thing is God will remember you and your name. You haven't earned favor before God, but boy, God is gonna commend you and your deeds will follow you. That's a New Testament idea. You're gonna leave behind a legacy that can last forever as people from every tribe and tongue and nation are brought together in Jesus Christ for all eternity. And if you're one of his people, you matter to him. If you're seeking first the kingdom, working unto the Lord, God sees your work. He's gonna reward you on the final day. So may we, who are God's people, built on the foundation stone of Jesus, serve our Lord, bow to serve our Lord in this grand rebuilding and restoration project. Amen? God remembers us and knows our name. There's one last little tidbit I'll leave you with. It mentions the sheep gate, the first part of the, of the chapter and at the end of the chapter. The sheep gate is one of the only gates that wasn't closed all the time and wasn't locked because they'd have to constantly be bringing sheep in for sacrifice into the temple. You see the ultimate fulfillment of that in Jesus when he came as the Lamb of God and he came in and he was sacrificed and one day he's gonna, come, he's gonna come through those gates again, inaugurate a new era, and his kingdom will be glorious and we'll be with him forever in peace and in safety and his work and his kingdom will endure. And don't you wanna live for that? Let's pray. Go have the band come up as I pray.